Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are on part 11. We're getting ready to start into uh, chapter 7 this morning. And uh, last week we dealt with the idea of sexual immorality. And we learned that sexual sin is uh, a sin that infects the entire body. It's actually much more damaging to yourself than really any other sin that you can get involved in. It affects your personality. It affects your, your, your physical health. It affects your, the way you think. It really affects everything in your life. And as a result, Paul said, you know what, this isn't even a, a sin that you should try to resist. He said, flee sexual immorality. I mean, this is one that if you're getting tempted with this, you don't try to resist, you don't try to fight it, you just get up and go. Get, remove yourself from the situation. And this week, we're going to go ahead and continue dealing with the top topic of sex. That's what the, this chapter mostly deals with, and don't worry, it's no less awkward for you than it is for me. So uh, we'll get through this together. So, But uh, yeah, it, the, the thing is, though, it's, it's something that we can't shy away from. We can't shy away from things just because they make us feel uncomfortable or because it's not something that we want to deal with. And Paul spends a significant portion of his letter to the, first, to the Corinthians, of so his first letter, uh, dealing with sexual sin and sexual topics. And, and the reality is, is that when that much time is spent on something, we have to maybe take a step back and think that this might be an important thing to deal with. This might be something that's important to God. And that means it's important to us. Amen? And last week, today won't be quite so bad, but last week as we were talking about sexual morality, I was acutely aware of a front row of teenagers as I'm talking about this stuff. And uh, the truth is, it's not going to be any different today. It's going to be just as awkward. I don't have as many in here, but I still have some. But as I, I began to think about that, you know, and I'm running through that, I'm like, God, that seems so something tough to deal with. And I, I began to realize that the whole world is talking about this stuff with our kids. You can't look at an advertisement in the paper and realize that they're essentially selling sex or sexual things. And the truth is, is that the world is going to be talking to our kids. The world is going to be preaching to our kids about this stuff, trying to tell them what is right, what is wrong, trying to shape their idea of what this stuff is. And the truth is, is that as awkward as it may be for us, it is much better for us to teach them the biblical view of sex and all that comes along with it, then let them learn about it from the world and have their view skewed on what is okay, what is not okay. And uh, so as awkward as it is, as tough as it is, and if you're a parent and you have kids here, as awkward as it might be to have this being talked about, I still think it's important because it's, uh, all of us, including our children, particularly our teenagers, need to understand what the biblical view of sex is and when it's appropriate, when it's not. And uh, the, the truth is, is that sex is a good thing. God made it for, for a husband and a wife to enjoy. The problem is, is when it is, it is enacted outside of the covenant of marriage, when we begin to, to run into issues with it. So let's go ahead and get started with it. Let's see what the Bible has to say about sex and all of that that goes along with it. And marriage and celibacy is what we're going to be dealing with today. Primarily is, is to be celibate or not to be. So let's go ahead and get started. 1 Corinthians 7.1 says, Now concerning the matters which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So he starts off this letter answering what appears to be answering a question. So at some point, the Corinthian church had written Paul some questions, and he begins to, to, to answer them right here. And 
we don't know exactly what the questions were. We obviously don't have the letter that they wrote to him or the questions that went to him. Maybe they were just trying to get some follow-up. Maybe they were taking issue with some of the principles that he had been putting forth. But apparently the first question regarded whether people should stay married or if those who were previously married should remain celibate. So basically they were asking, should a man and woman have sex? That's the question. He says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, you have to understand where this question is coming from, the culture that they're living in. I mean, the Christians in, in Corinth, they were surrounded by sexual temptation like, well, I would say like you've never seen, but that's probably not true. But for, for them, to, to even to, to, to worship the, the pagan gods of the time, that was part of it. You went into the temple and you, you hooked up with a prostitute and it was all good. That was, that was how you did things. And they're surrounded by sexual sin all around them. And we're thinking, we're like, oh, that's, that's awful. That's, I mean, how could that be a thing? But if you think about it, that's kind of what's happening. I mean, go to any college in the, in, in the country and that's, I mean, sex is the end all be all. That's what everyone's attempting to get involved in. And they may not be doing it in a, in a temple, but we live in a society where, where it's, it's just trying to be taught by the media in our schools and everywhere that, no, sex is okay. Do it with whatever you want. There's no issues. There's no problems. Just be safe is pretty much what they want to tell people. They were surrounded by sexual temptation just like we are today. And this city had a reputation among, even among pagans, pagans for sexual morality and religious prostitution. They had a reputation that, that even from the outside looking in, even, even the, the bad people were like, man, these people are rough. They're doing some crazy stuff there. And to this sexually saturated society, Paul was beginning to deliver them instructions on, on sex and marriage. Because when, they were, when, when the, the, they were preaching to the Jewish culture, there was already many of this, much of this stuff was already part of the Jewish culture. They, they did have a lot of uh, understanding that sex was between a man and a woman and there was a, uh, a covenant relationship. They, they knew about that, but the, the, the pagan, they, they had no idea. It was completely different. For them, like I told you uh, last week, I was reading, it kind of blew my mind, but, but prostitution was actually considered a good thing because it could stave off adultery. <laughs> Apparently with a prostitute, it was okay, just some random woman down the street, a big deal. But that, that, was, that was their thinking. That was their thinking. So they needed specific instructions on how to deal with this stuff because of the culture's immoral standards. I think this is why this is such a good thing for us in the United States because we have some pretty immoral cultural standards regarding sex and sexuality. And the truth is, is we need more teaching uh, like what we're going to be going th- go through today in our society. But like I said, it's a tough topic. It's one that's tough to address. This, this, uh, this morning, Marie's like, my, my best friend is going to come and come to church with us. I'm like, that's awesome, because we're talking about sex all day. This should be great. First time she comes to the church, and this is the message she's getting. So I'm like, well, this ought to be good. So we don't preach on this all the time, but we don't skip out on tough parts of the Bible just because we don't want to deal with them. So what's happening here is, is Paul's down there the first time probably, and we're, Paul's trying to deal with this, this overarching sexual immorality and culture. And he's like, look, guys, you've got to knock it off. This is not the way sex is supposed to be. And some of the believers kind of took it probably a little bit too far. And they're like, oh, so sex is a bad thing. 
must mean nobody should have sex, whether you're married, whether you're not married. Nobody should have sex at all. And they were teaching total abstinence even within a marriage. They were under the mistaken notion that sex was a sin. And sex isn't a sin. Sex was made by, by God to be enjoyed for procreation and for, for men and women to enjoy. The sex was a thing before the fall, just in case you guys were, were concerned. The scripture says, be, told them to be fruitful and multiply before the fall, before, Adam, before they were kicked up, before all of that. And most of you know how the be fruitful and multiply works. So the sex was a thing before the fall. And it was intended for a covenant relationship between a man and woman in marriage. But they're under the mistaken notion that, no, all sex is bad, so, you know, sex all the way out, nope, let's not deal with it. And so the first question Paul gets asked is, he answers that it's good to live a celibate life. So and Now, I just spent all this time saying, no, sex isn't bad, but this is what Paul says. Paul says, no, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And that's the, the one thing that we can think about. Does this contradict what the Word of God says? In Genesis 2.18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So on one hand, God's saying it's not good that a man should be alone. On the other hand, Paul's like, Nope, man shouldn't be with woman. And we also know from other writings of Paul, the truth is, is that he holds marriage in high esteem. If you want to look, uh, read Ephesians 5, 25 through 33 uh, when you have some time, and, and you'll see that, that Paul isn't opposed to marriage. He holds it in high esteem. But there is a reality that when you get married, your attention is divided. When you're single, you have the opportunity to devote your life completely and fully to God. But if you are married, some of your attention gets devoted to your wife. If some of your attention is not devoted to your wife, or if some of your attention is not devoted to your husband, then you're doing it wrong. So 1 Corinthians seven thirty-two through 34 says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So what Paul is saying is that, yeah, it is a good thing for you to remain celibate. And now if we stopped here, we wouldn't get the whole picture. And that's why you can't pick and choose a single scripture out of the Bible and try to make a doctrine out of a single scripture. You have to view it in context and see what's going on here. But Ultimately, living unmarried and celibate is not a requirement. It is okay to get married. It's okay to, to be with your wife and your husband. It's not a sin to get married. But it's also not a sin to stay single. And if you're called to stay single, if you're called to live celibate and serve God fully, that's a good thing. You're going to be much more effective serving God in that manner. In 1 Corinthians 7, 2, it says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He says here, it's good if you can remain celibate, but the reality is you should probably get married if you can't, if you can't swing. If you can't swing the celibacy thing, get married so you don't get yourself in a mess. The reality is, is that God did create marriage. He did create sex and and. As we just read a second ago, he said that it's not good for a man to be alone. 
And if you can remain unmarried and celibate and serve God fully without distraction, I would encourage you to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not, uh, you know, there's this idea and uh, not so much anymore, but there's still part of it that, you know, the whole, your biological clock's ticking, you got to get married, you got to do all that stuff, particularly for women. And they're, they're, they're almost treated as if there's something wrong with them if they don't get married. But there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're called to, then go ahead and do that and remain celibate. That's the part, though. We can't choose the not to get married and just go do whatever we want and, and be with whoever we want. The, the truth is, is, if we're going to remain that way, we need to serve God. But Paul is also letting the Corinthian church know that you shouldn't try to enforce celibacy by remaining unmarried if you're not called to it. And I'll begin to, to deal with that a little bit later. We talks about the different gifts each of us have referring to this situation. But the reality is, is if you're trying to enforce celibacy in a situation where you shouldn't be if you're married or if you just aren't called to be able to do that, you're going to need help from God to do that because we're, we're, we're made with those urges and those desires. And if we're, if we're not called to live that kind of life, we need to get married because the truth is, is that the temptation of sexual immorality will come in and mess you up. We talked about it, uh, I mentioned it a little bit uh, not too long ago, but the hormones, are the way our bodies are, they will make you stupid. They will make you do dumb stuff. I know this from experience, unfortunately. But you get yourself in a situation where your, your body wants to kick in and take over. I mean, we don't ever want to put ourselves in those situations. That's why Paul says, don't try to resist it. Flee, get out of there, run. Because the truth is, is we're not wired very well to deal with that kind of temptation. So Paul says, you know what? But because of this temptation, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. If you've not been given that gift of remaining celibate, then get married. And don't let yourself get rolled up or wrapped up in the temptation of this world. Because like I said, the truth is, the sexual desire is not a sin. It's something that God created. It was put inside of us and... Like I said, it was even before the fall. To be, to be, the command to be fruitful and multiply was before the fall. But as we were talking about last week, here's the thing. Hunger is normal. Sexual appetite is normal. Gluttony is a sin. And the same with engaging in sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage, that's the sin as well. The reality is, is that all sin is just an illegitimate means to fulfill a legitimate desire. And this is, this is the case here. It's, sex outside of the covenant of marriage is an illegitimate means to fulfill a legitimate desire. And we talked about last week, the problem with that is, is this sin affects you in more ways than you can ever imagine. So, I mean, we look at, and it's even, it's even uh, glorified in today's media and in movies. I mean, you look at James Bond. And that's a good one to use because there's new James Bond. They were making James Bond, you know, right after the TV came out. So they've been making James Bond for a long time, but the story's been the same. He sleeps with like 23 women in every show. And they show that as like a good thing. You know, he's doing, he's doing his thing. He's every man's man. But you know what they don't show? They don't show the, the heartbreak afterwards. They don't show the emotional pain. They don't show any of that when people engage. They just show what, what we, have, we, have, we think are the good things. But the truth is, is that 
when that happens and people are left and people are left alone, pain occurs, damage occurs. There's, there's nothing good that comes of that. It's a big deal. That's why God created it in a relationship the way that he did because it can be a good thing, but it can rip you apart otherwise. And he goes on to say in verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her con- conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Just like we were talking earlier, sex was made by God. In the same way that he created marriage, he created sex, and it was for the human race to, to, have, to procreate, because that's how that works. And it was also for enjoyment. It wasn't supposed to be a bad thing. But just like with anything else that God created, when sinful humanity gets involved, we find a way of perverting it and destroying it and messing things up. God, to be clear, and make no bones about it, God created sex to be enjoyed between the covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. That is the only appropriate way to engage in those activities. And the Corinthian church, they're surrounded by sexual temptations. And these temptations can be difficult to withstand because they're, they appeal to normal and natural desires that we have. And like I said, it's just an illegitimate means to fulfill a legitimate desire. So some of these people were, like I said, they're hearing from Paul, they're listening to his teaching, and they're overreacting. They went, oh, nope, all sex is bad. Can't, even if we're married, no more sex. Let's just, let's just go ahead and cut it, all, cut it all off and not deal with it, and, and then we'll be okay. And, and these people... Have, have seen sex used in such horrible ways, particularly in this culture and this society. And they've seen it used in such horrible and terrible ways that it's, they don't want anything to do with it anymore. They want to step away. They want to pull away from it. And while celibacy should be the rule for those of us who are single, if you're single, you remain celibate until you're married. That's just, just how it works. And it's not because God doesn't want, wants to take away your fun. It's not because God wants to ruin your Friday nights. It's because God cares about you, and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he doesn't want you to deal with the pain and hurt associated with one-night stands. The truth is, is that sex is so much more than a physical thing. It's a spiritual activity. When two men and well, one man and woman come together, they become one flesh. That's what the scripture says. They get married, they come together, and they become one flesh. It's a spiritual union, and it's so much more than just a physical thing. And when you tear that apart when it's done, that's why there's so much pain involved. That's why there's so much hurt involved. Paul explained that, yeah, if you're not married, remain celibate, because sex outside of that covenant has no place. But the truth is, is that marriage provides a, a safe and natural and God-approved way to fulfill those sexual desires. And it actually, not only can it strengthen your marriage because that bond, that intimacy that, that uh, comes as a result of that, but it also helps to strengthen you against temptations. Because that desire is already fulfilled in a legitimate way, so therefore you don't have the desire to fulfill it in an illegitimate way. Married couples have the responsibility to take care of one another. So therefore, husbands and wives should not deprive one another. But they should fulfill each other's needs and desires. 
Matter of fact, as, as husband and wives, we should be want to fulfill one another's needs. I mean, that's when you love somebody like that, you're not looking at yourself, you're looking at them. What, how can we make sure that they're taken care of? And that doesn't just, that's not just sex either. That should be everything. That's the question you should be asking yourself always. What's that, uh, they did a, a book about it with Kirk Cameron and a movie about it. I forgot the movie was called. What was the book uh, that they did in that? The Love Dare? Do you guys remember The Love Dare? Did you hear about that? It was basically so many days of, of these different things you would do for your, huh? 40 days. You know, and the first thing was like, just do something nice for them. Make them a cup of coffee. And, but the truth is, is that's how you, you show love and you care for them. You put them above yourself in every aspect from, you know, helping out with doing the dishes, taking out the trash, to sexual stuff, to, to everything. It's, it's part of being in a relationship together. And Lord knows we all have areas where we can improve in that matter. Ask my wife. There's plenty of stuff that I can improve in. Don't ask her. I don't want you to know all that dirty stuff. The, the dirt about me, the bad. I'm a perfect husband. Good husband. Yeah, just so you know, when a pastor's preaching, he's not just preaching to you guys. He's preaching to himself half the time, all the time, most of the time. Usually the messages are for him. You just get to listen to God speaking to the pastor. So, uh, but the truth is, is that we need to, to care about our, our, our spouses and, and, and show them the love that they deserve. And this is one of those ways. And the interesting thing here is that the husband should give to his wife her conjugational rights and likewise the wife to her husband. You know, this was a revolutionary statement at the time. Here's why. Because if you said this about a man, yeah, a woman should, should make sure that she's giving everything to her husband. That was normal at the time. But in this case, he's saying, but you know what? A wife has the right to expect and demand the same. That was revolutionary how he made man and woman equal at this point. But Paul stressed a man and a woman's equal rights in their relationship. He goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we all know that when a person gets saved, their body belongs to Christ. That person, when they become a Christian, they, they belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, I think we read this last week. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you or whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Your body is God's when you become a Christian. But did you also know that physically your body doesn't belong to you either if you're married? The scripture says if you're married, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And vice versa, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Like, this is revolutionary thinking for that time, giving women equal rights as a man, particularly in the marriage relationship. This, I mean, people's minds are getting blown right now. But physically, our bodies don't belong to ourselves. And this is, oh, this is not what is taught today. 
You know, it's it, what's the what's in the 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 main story, the the agenda in the media. Oh no, it's 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 a woman's body. She can do whatever she wants. You know, even to the point of of killing babies because oh no, it's a woman's body. Apparently, the baby doesn't have a body. I saw. You guys ever heard of the uh, the Babylonian bee? It's a it's a Christian parody news site, and they just had a story recently that they put up and it went a miracle happened. At the instant a woman gave birth, a blob of gelatinous a blob of gelatinous cells, as soon as they came out of her womb, became a baby. It was a miracle. I mean, she says, I can't believe it. Just a few seconds ago, it was just a blob of cells, and now all of a sudden, it's a fully formed baby. That's kind of the idea. It's it's not the it's not a it's not a real baby. It's 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 her. Everything is her body. And I get the 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 force behind that to an extent because unfortunately women have been taken advantage of for a long time in every culture some cultures it's still way worse than others. i get the sentiment but it's it's being taken too far and the reality is is that to live as a as a christian man or woman if you're married is to come to the understanding that no actually it's not your body it's your husband's or husband no actually it's not your body it's it's your wife's and really, as Christians, that's the, that's the difference in Christianity, the, the mentality behind it, because the, the truth is, is, the Scripture, I believe it's in Colossians, says that we're to treat everybody as more valuable than ourselves. And that's a complete different way of thinking than we're being taught every single day. The man and the woman's body belong to one another. The sexual relationship was designed between a husband and a wife, the union of a husband and a wife, and the sexual relationship makes two people one flesh. And the unity given through the married couple through their sexual relationship makes them no longer independent beings. You're no longer independent. You're one, you're one unit. This is why sexual sin is so grievous, because it's not just a physical thing. A spiritual thing takes place during the act of sex. So Paul said to these married believers that sex is not immoral because God created it, so therefore you shouldn't deprive your spouse. He says, do not deprive one another. He says, the only times that sexual couples should abstain from sex with one another is by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. If you want to set some time apart and, and you don't even want that to be a distraction because you're going to have a time of prayer or fasting with God, then perfectly okay if you agree to it. But then Paul goes, but don't make it a permanent thing. This is a limited time thing because if you try to make this a permanent thing, you are opening the door for Satan to send in all kinds of temptations. Because there are legitimate desires there. And if they're not being fulfilled in your marriage like they should be, then there's going to be opportunities to fulfill them all over. And in this society, that opportunity is so, so easy to come by that if we're not careful, if we're not fleeing, if we're not doing things the way that God intended them, then we can open up all kinds of doors in our relationship that we don't want. This is why... Using sex as a weapon is a huge deal. You know, when, when, 
when we were counseled for, for marriage and, and it's the way we'll counsel others is, is that sex is never to be used as a weapon. Just because you're mad at somebody, you don't withhold uh, your, your husband or your wife, you don't withhold that from them for a couple of reasons. One, your body's not your own. You don't have the authority to do so. But two, it just opens doors when those legitimate needs aren't being taken care of and you can invite all kinds of stuff into your relationship that you didn't want in your relationship. You're opening the, the door. For so many things. When it's used to punish or as a weapon, you're not accomplishing anything. You're not actually trying to fix whatever you think you're trying to fix. You're just making it potentially much worse in your relationship. Amen? First Corinthians seven, six through seven. He says, Now is a concession, not a command. That next one. Yeah. I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, and another of another kind. So Paul begins to say some things. First he says, One, I want you to know that what I'm about to say, it's not a command from God. He says this is a concession. This is good advice. This is a good idea. He says, as a, as, a, as a man of God, I think I'm in the right on this. This is my advice to you. He says, if you can swing it, stay like I am. If you can swing it, don't get married. Stay single. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything that you have. The truth is, is that Paul recognized, though, that his lifestyle was not, truthfully, not one that was probably great for bringing along a wife and children. He was traveling constantly. He was being persecuted like crazy. He never had a permanent home. He was always in danger. I mean, we know he was, what, shipwrecked multiple times. He was stoned multiple times. He was, he was beaten, left for dead. That would be rough with a wife and kids. He understood that 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 might not be appropriate. But he says, I wish that all were as I myself. I wish that everybody was living the life that I'm living. He didn't want you to be in danger. He didn't want people to be hurt. He wanted people to serve God the same that he would. I can relate to that feeling in a lot of ways when I, 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 you know, there's sometimes I see people that aren't willing to do anything for God. I'm like, how can you start serving in some way, start doing something? There's some people that won't serve in any way, shape, or form. And then I'm on, you know, then I, 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 I see myself on the other end giving up so much and working so hard. It's like, oh, come on, somebody help out. I think that's part of what Paul's doing. Like, I don't want the hard parts on you, but for crying out loud, serve God. Quit being distracted. Be as I am and, and, and just serve him. And he thanked the Lord for his gift. He begins to refer to it, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each one has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. You have to recognize that in the context of what Paul's talking about, the gift that he's talking about is the gift of celibacy, the gift of singleness, or the gift of marriage. He says, I wish that everybody had the gift, the ability to be single. I wish that they could live like I am to serve God unfettered and give him everything that they had. But he also understood that it's not really for everybody. 
He goes on to say in the next verses, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Did I miss one? No. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. He continues that thought. I wish everybody could be as I am. If you're unmarried or if you're a widow, which is someone that's unmarried, he says, I wish that you would stay as I am. He begins to speak to the situation of those that, that, that aren't married. This is a good idea to stay married. It's funny. In today's society, particularly in, in young girls or, or, or college-age girls in the church, they're all talking about, you know, oh, I need to find me a godly husband. I need to find me. And somehow we've developed this culture in the Christian church that every woman has to have a husband. But they don't. Now, if they don't have the gift to remain celibate, if they're not going to be able to deal with those sexual desires, by all means, get married so you can do that in a, in a godly manner. But otherwise, you know, he's saying, hey, I, I think that it's good for you to remain single as I am. Remain single and be fully dedicated to the Lord. I mean, if you think about his life that Paul lived, everything that he did was dedicated 100% to the Lord. And that's what he desired for everybody, was to serve God like he would. But it says, you know what, if you can't, if, you're, if you can't deal with those desires, those temptations, then get married. If you can't exercise that self-control. And newsflash, a lot of people can't exercise that self-control. And the truth is, is that for many of us, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we can. I'm not called to be single, I can guarantee you that right now. For a lot of reasons, sexual stuff being one of them. One of the, the, the things that people ask me when I talk about movies that I'm willing to watch, and uh, I'll, people at work will ask me, you know, and I'll ask them, well, what's in that show? And like, you know, is there cussing or violence and all that stuff? And, and cussing, I can deal with, as long as it's not out of control, I can usually ignore cussing. Violence has never bothered me at all. But sexual stuff, like that's a big one. I asked them, I said, is there any nudity? Is there any sexual stuff in it? And if there is, it's a show that I won't watch. They all know now. I don't even have to tell them. I just say, is it a show that I can watch? And they know how to answer that question. But one time a guy asked me, he said, how is it that, you know, you're a Christian, you're a pastor, and, and if there's some cussing in it or violence, you know, you'll watch a show that has tons of violence and it doesn't bother you, but you're always concerned about, about the sexual stuff. Why is that? You know, they're trying to somehow point out hypocrisy. And my answer is simple. I've never been tempted by violence. I've never been tempted by cussing. That stuff doesn't get in my head. If it does for you, don't watch shows with violence in it. You know, if you watch a show that has a bunch of drinking in it and it tempts you to drink, don't watch those shows. But those things have not tempted me. Sexual stuff does. I don't want to see it because it opens up doors that I don't want to have opened up. The other reason that I know I'm not supposed to be single is, is I, if, if my wife were to pass away or whatever, somebody would have to come save me because I would probably starve and grocery, I mean, there's, there's so much stuff that my wife does that I don't have to think about, you know. And, and to be honest with you, I probably take it for granted in so many ways that she just, she's an amazing woman. And, man, I, I, I would be lost without her. You guys would have to make sure I come to church and all this stuff and make sure I'm clean. You know, someone's got to remind me to clean behind my ears, you know. So. 
Hallelujah. I don't even know where I'm at. I was just telling Pastor Jeff. He came in and he says, does he go off on rabbit trails a lot? And I'm like, I don't, I don't usually go off on rabbit trails, but every now and then. And now I don't know where I'm at. Hang on. What are we talking about? But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should get married. He says, hey, if you guys can't do it, if you can't swing it, then get married. Because that's the only way that you're going to be able to satisfy those desires legitimately. And he didn't suggest forcing celibacy on yourself. He says, no, get married. If you're called to it, do it. But if you're not called to it, don't put yourself in a situation where you're essentially setting yourself up for failure. Then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians seven ten through 11, he says, but to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now he's switching gears. Before, it was, this is a good idea. This is good advice. Now it's, this is a command. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To remain unmarried... To remain single, it's not a command from God. But it was good advice from a spiritual father that cared about them. He said, you know what? I want you to serve God like I do with no distractions. If you can remain unmarried, do it. That's good advice. But it wasn't a command. It's not a sin to get married. And then he said, the same, the advice to marry, if you're not gifted with, with that ability to, to, to remain single, to remain celibate, that command to, to get married it was, was, it was not a command. That was just good advice as well. It was, it, it's not a sin to get married. It's not a sin to not get married. It's a sin to engage in sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. So if you don't get married and, and that's what God has called you to and you never get involved in that kind of stuff, you're okay. It's not a sin to not get married and it's not a sin to, to not have sex ever, so that's good. But if you can't maintain that, Paul says get married. Now, if you are struggling in that area, you don't think you can remain celibate and you don't get married, it's not a sin to not get married. It is a sin to engage in fulfilling those desires and illegitimate means. His, his vice, advice before this, a couple before it, was just good advice from a guy who loves him. But now he says, now I do have a command from God. And he begins to, he was just talking to the unmarried folks, but now he begins to talk to the married folks. He says, a wife should not separate from her husband, and if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. He wanted to explain to these Corinthian uh, churchgoers, these Corinthian Christians, that, that God's view on marriage, here's God's views, his commands on marriage. Now, you'll remember that Jesus taught quite a bit about divorce on his time on earth. You can read Matthew 5, 31 through 32, Matthew 19, 3 through 9, Mark 10, 2 through 12, or Luke 16, 18, and you'll see where Jesus is talking about marriage and all that goes along with it. But the, the, what it boiled down to is that actually married people are not to get divorced. And while divorce was permitted in the Old Testament, Jesus said, you guys are missing the point. That was just given as a concession, basically because you guys are all a whiny bunch of babies and can't deal with your stuff. It was basically what that came about. It was given as a concession. 
But divorce was never part of God's plan. And one of the, the commentaries that I, I was reading says, actually, it must have been apparently okay in this Greco-Roman culture for women to separate their husband. Because the truth is, is that, that uh, Hebrew law, the, the, the Old Testament law concerning divorce, always dealt with what a husband could do, not with what a woman could do. But he's dealing with the opposite thing here, too. He says, no, a wife should not leave her husband either. And if a woman has separated from her husband, then she's to remain unmarried. There's no, you know, getting divorced and picking a new one. And this goes both ways, not just women. This idea that, uh, oh, we'll get married if it doesn't work out, we'll just get divorced. That's a, that's a foreign idea to God. This is a covenant that you make with somebody when you get married. It's a, it's a one-time deal. You make that decision. He says, but if a woman does separate, she doesn't have the option to marry somebody else. And the same, if a, if a husband walks away from, from his wife, well, the scripture first says that if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, so you're acting all, uh, As a husband, you have a much greater responsibility in that area to take care of your family, to be the spiritual leader uh, than, a, than a wife does. So if you leave, you're messing up in all kinds of ways. But the same way, a husband must not leave his wife, must not divorce his wife. And the reality is something that, that uh, even before I became a Christian, I understood that marriage should be a lifetime thing. And I've always understood, even before I became a Christian, that, that being married is a whole lot more than being about being in love. I want to tell you right now that love is not enough to keep you married. It's important. You need to have love in a marriage. But if you just love somebody, that's not enough to keep you married. You have to make a conscious decision every single day to stay married. You have to make that choice. You have to remove the option of divorce. That that has to be removed from your vocabulary. It shouldn't even be a possibility. And you'd be surprised what you can work through when that's no longer an option. When that's no longer a possibility. One of my favorite quotes is from, from uh, Billy Graham's wife. I think her name was Ruth. Uh, she was once asked in an interview, she said, have you ever considered divorcing your husband? And she says, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. <laughs> divorce has to not be an option in your marriage. And if you remove that, you'll be amazed at what you can get through. Because the truth is, nobody's compatible. This whole idea that people are compatible, that's a myth. Nobody's actually compatible. No matter how much you think it's going to work out, how much you think there's going to be a time when you walk in and he left the toilet seat up, or the dishes didn't get done, or you know, he farts in his sleep, or she snores in her sleep. There's always something. You know, I was convinced that women didn't use the bathroom until I got married. That's what I had resolved in my head. Turns out they do. Turns out women use more toilet paper than I could imagine could be used. I, when I was single, I would get one of those little four-packs of shower. I would last like two months. We're going through those like a day now. And I'm like, I'm like, how is this possible? I think my household single-handedly keeps the, the Costco big packs of, of, of uh, toilet paper coming in the shelves. The truth is, is that we're not compatible. Nobody's compatible. <clears throat> Come to grips with that now. If you're looking for someone to realize that you're not compatible, no matter who it is, and get over it. That's uh, my favorite piece of marriage advice that was given to my pastor is, is Pastor Von Gerald, a big burly man, great guy. 
Maybe with no nonsense. And uh, they, they, they say that their, their one piece of married advice or marriage counseling before they got married was, he says, get married, find out you're incompatible, and get over it. And remove that option from your vocabulary. I'm going to stay married no matter what. I'm going to figure it out. And the truth is that the both of you will recognize that you're not your own, but you belong to one another. You're one flesh. If you realize that putting them first, that'll make your marriage last. That's why we need Jesus in our marriages, because you can't think that way if you're not saved. It's hard to not be saved. If you don't have a, your life changed on the inside, you can't even operate in that way. It's impossible. We're born selfish. We're born broken. We need the life-saving power of the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ to make us brand new, to even live the kind of life that God has called us to live. And we might be able to pull it off for a time. We might be able to fake it for a time. But eventually, reality sets in. I know. We spent a lot of, of my early marriage quasi-saved, if that. You know, we called ourselves Christians, but we weren't. And in the beginning, I was smooth. I did all, I did all the right stuff. Turned the, the heater down so the house would warm up or up, however you refer to it. She's like, oh, he, he cares about me so much. He even thought about me to, to make sure the temperature... But that's the truth is, is in the beginning, it's, it's a ruse. It's a, it's a show. And then the truth comes out. If you don't have the love of God inside of you, if you haven't been changed on the inside, that can't be maintained. But once you can, you've been to live for one another. Jesus saved my marriage. I know that for a fact without a shadow of a doubt. It almost fell apart. Because without God, I'm kind of a jerk. Kind of selfish. You know, I know you're thinking, Pastor Wayne, we know you're not, you're the best guy I've ever, matter of fact, we've probably never met a person that is nicer than you, that is more talented than you, that's more handsome than you. We've, but before I got saved, that's not what it was like. You can ask my sister and my mom about who I was before, my wife to some extent. I was selfish. I only cared about myself even when I was married. But thank God. I got to know the one who loves me more than even she loves me. And it changed everything. And I view her as better than myself, as more than myself. And she views me the same way. And as a result, our relationship is, in my honest opinion, stronger than any marriage that I know of. And I don't say that to to brag. It's not anything we did. It's Jesus in our lives. But if you want that, put him first. Consider your spouse as more than yourself. And never let divorce be an option. Amen? And we'll go ahead and wrap it up there today. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.